I, I'm thankful to Bayork and so many of those of that generation for actually opening the doors for us so that we can even attempt to put our foot inside. And I know that certainly I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the trailblazers like Bayork Lee. Welcome to Beyond the Fourth Wall. I'm Lindy. And I'm Joseph. The Fourth Wall that invisible, magical bridge between actors and audience. For the last year, we've been looking out beyond our fourth wall to see how theater skills are life skills. And now, we want you to join us on the other side of the curtain. Our productions are returning, and we're taking you behind the scenes as we chat with cast, creative teams, and alumni, with an occasional tap number for good measure. So welcome to the Lex Fam, and get ready to go... Beyond the Fourth Wall. This week on Beyond the Fourth Wall, we're meeting another incredible Lexington Theatre Company alum, Kendall Ito. We were so lucky to have Kendall with us in 2018, performing the role of Connie in a chorus line. Her credits are expansive, performing in the first national tour of Matilda, the public theater's groundbreaking production of Soft Power, among many others. And she brings all that experience to the Lex as a member of our Inclusivity Advisory Collective. In this interview, she recounts growing up in Sacramento, making the bold move to New York to pursue musical theater, and the remarkable milestones along the way. Let's get to know Kendall. Kendall Ito, welcome to Beyond the Fourth Wall, and welcome back to the Lexington Theater Company. Hi, this is so exciting. I'm so, so glad you're here today. We are doing this fantastic alumni series where our Lex audiences are getting to know some of the amazing artists who have been on our stages a little bit deeper, getting to hear more of your stories. And Lex audiences may remember you as wonderful Connie Wong in our production of A Chorus Line back in 2018. We were so thrilled. I can't know. 2018, doesn't that feel so hard to that, say? That was, doesn't feel like it actually happened. It feels like that was 100 years ago. <laughs> I know. I know. That production was just one of the most magical experiences of my career in total um, and one of my favorite times at the Lex, and we were so glad to have you with us. And of course, you also serve on our Inclusivity Advisory Collective. We're so thrilled to have your incredible perspective as we're being helped to guide our programming, our policy. It's just so wonderful to have you on that team as well. So thank you for all you do at the Lex, and, and we're excited to share your story today. Oh, thanks, Lindy. Yeah, it's um, the advisory committee is really a special thing we get to work on together. And I feel out of everything in this pandemic and everything in the last couple of years, it's been a very special honor to get to have influence in some sort in fashion. So thank you for having me. The pleasure is ours. The pleasure is ours. Well, I want to take our listeners back a little bit to get to know little Kendall. Uh, you grew up in California, if I'm correct on that. That's right. It's so funny you say little because I feel like that has not changed at all. <laughs> That's true. For our audiences who may know a chorus line, Connie Wong sings an entire song about being four foot ten. Uh, mm -hmm. And you are... 
Four foot one thousand eight hundred twenty eight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, but no, but truly. little little in age, Kindle. When you were growing up in Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. And do you have a memory? Is there anything that stands out to you as like the first moment that you thought, "Wow." musical theater storytelling this is something cool yeah um I mean the first so the first time I ever saw theater was when I was about five years old my parents took uh, myself and my sister to go see the touring production of Beauty and the Beast and I remember sitting on a booster seat it was an actual booster seat because I had to (laughs) look above the audience to see what was going on on stage and I remember the whole time my mom says you didn't go to sleep. You were so excited and you were sitting literally on the edge of your booster seat the entire time watching the stage. And even as like in my own memory, I have like snippets of like flashing lights. And I I remember uh, like listening to the cast recording after we got to see the show and listening to the songs on repeat, like always knowing like what the numbers are, you know, like number five was the wolf song. So we always skip that number. I remember in the car, (laughs) but that was like, I think that was the bite though. That was, that was the moment when I was like, this is great. What is it? I want to do it. And then, you know, from there, mom and dad signed us up for, you know, theater and got to do some of the local kids theater stages in Sacramento, did community theater, was fortunate enough to do, you know, even a little bit of like music circus, some professional stuff along the way. But yeah, from seven on, that was pretty much it. I guess the biggest like turnaround in terms of, you know, as theater being something just for fun versus theater being a career, I I even remember because well, so a large portion of when I was younger was I was uh, really afraid to go into this. I was very self-conscious, still am to like a certain, you know, degree, but back then was super self-conscious and really didn't believe that I could do this until my senior year of high school. You know, at that point I was only applying to schools for liberal arts. And, you know, at the time I was interested, you know, possibly studying international studies and doing something on a more global level. And I ended up doing a production of Legally Blonde in Sacramento for River City Theater Company and somehow managed to get the role of Elle Woods. And it was this kind of like groundbreaking thing. And, you know, it's like no one had ever seen a person of color, let alone an Asian woman, play the part, even if it was like on a, you know, adolescent level. um, It was major. And so I remember doing it and it was exciting. There was a lot of buzz. And our director, Ron Cisneros, sat down with me one day and Hiram Johnson and he asked the question, like, where are you applying to school? You know, like, what are you going to do? And, you know, thinking that I was just going to apply to like theater schools. And I was, you know, telling him, I was like, oh, you know, like I'm looking into liberal arts, like international studies. And I was listing like all these colleges like UC Davis. And he's like, whoa, wait, what are you talking about? It's like, you're not going to go for this? I'm like, no. Nah. And I, you know, it was a very honest conversation of, yeah, I don't think I'll do well in this business. Yeah. Like, it, I don't think it's for me. And he, he had the, the talk to be like, looked me straight in the eye and said, you should go for this. Like, you know, he, he was, he was the big push that I needed to tell myself, if you don't at least try, then you'll never know. And you'll be left with that thought of not knowing how it could have 
happen. And so suddenly after that, I was went directly to my folks and said, okay, I think we should look into theater schools and, you know, did the whole search and ends up going to Pace and, you know, all of that. And so I, I think when I look back on the early childhood adolescent parts of my time and years, Beauty and the Beast and Legally Blonde had the biggest influences, I guess, of how I got here today. I love so many elements of that story. It's been so amazing as we have asked this question of so many artists who have been on the on the podcast. And it is it never ceases to amaze me the specific memory of one particular show or one particular moment and how transformative it is. And I've said this before, but watching your face, watching your joy in recalling that memory, you know, so we say theater is life-changing and it seems trite or cliche, but it's really not. It's yeah. really, it absolutely is. And I I also love the part of the story when your mentor, you know, sat you down and sort of saw something within you that you didn't necessarily even see in yourself yet and, and really gave you that confidence. It resonates with me because it's so much of what we're about here at the Lex, but I just love hearing those those specific stories of when that really made a difference and got you to New York. Yeah, well, I feel like everyone in this business and in this industry and this craft had that person, right? It was either that person or it was that show or that experience, but there was something to, you know, just give the gentle nudge to be like, you are capable, you are seen, and you can do it. And um, I think that's something that we can all share as theater artists to some degree or level. I love that is so beautifully said. So beautifully said. So you so then you move all the way across the country to yes. New York City. <laughs> Complete, like life change. And, yes. you, and we love Pace University. So tell us a little bit about your time there. What was that like shifting coasts at, you know, 17 or 18 years old? You know, it's so funny, because I always forget how much I actually transformed and spent a good portion of my formative years going to school at Pace in the city from 18 to like 21, 22. It really is like, it was a very um, profound time in terms of development, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've made and continue to have really close friends from Pace. And it was a time that brought me a lot of joy, a lot of challenges. And I, regardless, you know, I think I'm thankful because I never had the experience of going to a conservatory. I went to, I went to McClatchy in Sacramento, which was a public school. Like there was no theater department. They had, you know, they did maybe a musical and a play once a year, and but that was it. They, there really wasn't anything theatrical. And so my training didn't actually begin, begin beyond like private voice lessons until I was 18. So I had never, had never really been in a dance class before, had never really been in an acting class, like what did not even know what that looked like. And so while Pace was challenging, I feel that it also toughened me up a bit in terms of how I wanted to develop my craft and the skills I needed to become the kind of artist that I hope and want to be, <laughs> if that makes any sense. But yeah. I love to, I, I know we have a lot of young artists that listen to this podcast and I think it's so inspiring to hear somebody say, 
I got to college and I still had things to learn. I feel like especially in this day and age, it feels like you have to have it all figured out by the time you're 16. So you're ready for those college auditions. But I think it's so refreshing and important for young people to hear that college can be a place where you go to learn those things. You don't have to know it all by 15 or 16. Totally. And that like even today, this Kendall that's talking to you is still learning. And I hope that until the day I die, I am still learning to some capacity. I, you know, I feel like there's this false conception that like once you're a, once you're a professional or once you're an active worker that you have it all figured out. And I I feel like that's not true. (laughs) And that needs to be kind of broken down a bit that I feel like it is our job to constantly evolve and to constantly sharpen our awareness in a way that we can grow. Um, I mean, that's our job, right? We're representing humanity, representing narratives of life. And so we have to constantly be opening our eyes and ears to everything. Oh, that is so beautifully said. And you are such a beautiful example of that. I mean, in in all of my interactions with you, it's so clear that you are just hungry for knowledge and hungry for for new things. But then not only are you hungry to learn those things, you're also equally hungry to share those things. Mm. And so generously share those things. And I'm just, I you are a living example of everything you just said. So oh, that's thanks, Lindsay. So, so beautiful. <laughs> it's very generous. And likewise, <laughs> tell me if I am remembering the story correctly, because I feel like we talked about this when you were here for a chorus line. But was it around the pace years or shortly after when you did your first a chorus line? Am I re- getting the timeline right on yeah. that? Yeah. Junior year, I ended up playing Connie for the first time at Pace under the direction of the incredible Byrick Lee. She is the queen. Don't forget it. And at that same time, while we were in boot camp for Chorus Line, that happened while simultaneously I got offered to do a Matilda out on the road. And so suddenly what became like the Chorus Line beginnings also transitioned into tour life also transitioned into this like new narrative of like leaving school for a bit and jumping into the quote-unquote like professional world at a relatively early and accelerated path so a lot of those (laughs) junior and senior year my my like a strange like rearranged senior year of college feels a little bit like a this, like a roller coaster for those who can't see I'm doing a roller coaster motion with my hands (laughs) yes that is, that is a lot to happen even before finishing college. That's a, a lot to happen in, in one short span of time. Well, I want to circle back because I remember, you know, when our dear friend Billy Bustamante, who had introduced me to you, yes. um, and he had mentioned, oh, she's learned a chorus line from Bayork, and of course, Bayork set our chorus line on Broadway. And so I knew we would be speaking the same choreographic language, she is amazing. And and for those who may not know the whole chorus line story, she was the original Connie Wong in the first production. So I just want to know, and, and I've gotten to experience it with several other of the amazing women who played that role, but what is it like to get to learn 
a role from somebody who originated it on like I mean the sharing the passing of the craft it's like I know it's so sacred to her yeah well and this one is I think the chorus line story is very unique in that it's not only she originated the character of Connie but Connie is her right it's it's also very factual in her life story and I remember feeling um, <laughs> Kendall overwhelmed. I remember feeling very overwhelmed. You know, I had I had worked with Biork prior to Chorus Line, so I got to know I got to know Biork outside of the realm of the of Chorus Line first before getting to do it Chorus Line with her. So I think that helped in like you know helping shed away the like you're massive, you're a big deal, the amount of like trailblazing stories you have, you know, right? Like I was able to have that experience with her before going into Chorus Line and get to meet her as a person first. We were very fortunate with Chorus Line in that we actually got a a pretty substantial amount of time to one, do the boot camp and like get in shape for it, but also two, to have the time to learn the material and also get the historical information of the piece from a direct source. And I think that's so rare to find in a production. And the stories that Bayark so generously shared, not only about the time of creating what is Chorus Line, but also the individual stories of each member on the line and what their personal stories were as it related to the industry that existed back then is massive. And I, you know, I remember there were stories about, especially, you know, from perspectives of people of color as well. Today is one situation in terms of, you know, fighting for diversity and inclusion and equity. But back then it was, for lack of a better term, it was horrible. And it was, they really had to fight in order to be in the rooms to begin with, right? Like the amount of fight that had to happen back then when you didn't have a cohort behind you is incredible. And it took a lot of guts and courage. And I, I'm i thankful to Bayork and so many of those of that generation for actually opening the doors for us so that we can even attempt to put our foot inside. And I know that certainly I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the trailblazers like by Lee. Again, beautifully said, exactly. Opening those doors, blazing those trails. Oh, that story, it just, it warms my heart. She is such a dear and she's so passionate about the, about the whole piece. And she's, it's so fun to be in the room with her sharing those stories and sharing that choreography. It's, you know, it's just her world and her life and it's amazing. It's amazing. I want to talk about another piece that you've been in more recently, incredible piece called Soft Power. Yes. Tell <laughs> us, uh, tell us um, for those listening who may not be familiar with this piece and its journey, tell us a little bit about it and your, and your journey with it. Oh, Soft Power is truly one of the most special, heartwarming experiences of my entire life. I'm very thankful for it. So Soft Power is a new musical that has been developed and written by David Henry Huang and Janine Tesori to another, again, trailblazers of the American theater. (laughs) What is the elevator pitch? Soft Power is about a fever dream that starts as a play 
and becomes a musical that talks about a recollection of the 2016 presidential election while also simultaneously discussing what it means to be American through the lens of Asian Americans. I think that's the that elevator was, that was a, a <laughs> It's a really you, you got you got it all in one sentence. Trying <laughs> it's it's a very um, complex and yummy and interesting narrative that I feel like certainly I have never seen in theater before and I just feel thankful to have been even a little part of it and to continue to share so many joys with the Soft Power family and its creatives. I also just remember that moment of walking in and, you know, I had seen Rayleigh in Groundhog Day performing. I remember sitting in that audience being like, this is incredible to just see an Asian man on stage, not having to do any of the like Asian gimmicks. I saw Francis Jew when I was young. I think I was about like nine years old, I saw him in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Um, and it was my first Broadway theatrical experience as a kid. Conrad Ricamora, you know, all these, it was overwhelming to be not only getting to experience a new thing, which is development theater, but also to have that first experience be in a room with so many other, again, trailblazers. And then that would be my first experience was to get to share a room with them. It, I felt completely honored. I felt completely um, <laughs> like, why am I here? Why am I felt a lot of like, why am I here? This is overwhelming. But I also, to a degree, felt for like for the first time, you know, that 18 year old self Kendall who was so nervous and so worried about, can I do this? That in that moment, I was like, maybe I can, maybe I actually am meant to be here. Oh, what a beautiful, important story. And I love the full circle nature of how this it all has kind of come back in this conversation to where it all began. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Yeah. It's like <laughs> we're always like either living in the past or trying to dream the future. But it's true. Like we really don't get the opportunity to just sit in the moment for what it is and enjoy. And it isn't until reflection that it's like, oh, wait actually that was that was like you start to put together pieces and you start to um look back on your life and things make sense and it really is a testament that like you know things are working and things are set in place for a specific reason for you and it will all make sense and all that is so beautifully said and such beautiful advice I feel like for anybody listening along you're you have such wisdom it's so lovely to always be in your company I'm so glad that a chorus line at the Lex brought you into yes. our lives and <laughs> um, that your work with the inclusivity advisory collective keeps you in our lives and yeah. we can't wait to get you back here and back on stage again we're so thrilled to be finally getting back on stage here yes soon, so. I know yeah for you all too those Lexington audiences are craving for the legs I know I'm sure. we're so ready we're so ready but this has been such a joyful conversation thank you for sharing your story with us and thank you for being such a special part of our Lex fam thank you Lindy appreciate you the Lex is back on stage in 2022 with single tickets now on sale for our summer productions of Disney's The Little Mermaid and Chicago 
For information about tickets or to find out more about the Lexington Theatre Company, visit our website, lexingtontheatrecompany.org and follow us on social media at the Lex Theatre Co. Thank you.